So we're delighted today to have Gera Eisen from the University of Oslo, where he's a professor of economics. Uh, he's very well known in his field. Um, he won the Royal Economic Society Prize um, for a paper published in the Economic Journal in 2003, which is when I first uh, came across his name. Uh, but he's worked in many different areas, written very widely uh, on this topic in a very deep and thoughtful way. He has his doctorate from the University of California, Santa Barbara, uh, started as a mathematician and physicist uh, in Bergen, uh, and is now thinking, I think, uh, extremely broadly in ways that are really fitting into our semester. So thanks for coming all the way from Oslo, and the floor is yours. Thank you very much for your introduction. Thank you for uh, inviting me. Um, uh, emissions of CO2 and uh, other greenhouse gases um, has uh, spurred an interest in the notion of uh, intergenerational equity. Um, we can ask questions like, should we incur embatement costs today to reduce the risk of serious and irreversible changes uh, in living, uh, living conditions, in future living conditions. Um, this question is complex because uh, present carbon emissions has negligible effects for the emitter, but a non-negligible aggregate effect. I mean, in economic terms, it's uh, external. And therefore, we have to differentiate between what uh, our generation as a collective should do as an ethical question to serve the interest of all generations from an impartial perspe perspective and um, what countries or individuals uh, currently should do as a strategic question to serve their own interests when such actions influence the, the future strategic uh, actions of other countries and individuals. So we both have a ethical and strategic questions and I will of course here concentrate on the, the ethical question, what we should do to serve the interest of all generations from an impartial perspective. Now, economists have uh, evaluated uh, uh, climate policies uh, through something called integrated assessment models for the last 20 years. Uh, Nordhaus has done, done very important work on, on, uh, on this. And uh, one feature of such models are that they put uh, less weight on uh, the utility of, uh, of future generations through utility discounting. It might be less known that uh, such models in effect also put less weight on, uh, on uh, the marginal utility of, uh, of people living in poor countries through something called negishi weights. But it means that, uh, that uh, those that are far from us in geographical distance and, and well-being are in some sense discounted. And Schelling actually has presented arguments for, for doing this kind of depreciation of, uh, of, uh, of the weight we put on people that are far from us in geographical distance and time. Uh, I will argue that doing so might be relevant in evaluating the different strategies that countries and in individuals may adopt but it's not appropriate in a purely ethical analysis that consider only the choice between consequences in terms of well-being for the present and future generations. But still, I will argue that social discounting of future generations' well-being can still be justified on other grounds, even from an ethical perspective. And it's not only 
discounting of consumption, also discounting of utility might be justified. So the outline will be first to, uh, to say something about uh, what we mean by, by, uh, by, uh, by equal treatment, what it is and, and uh, in what, in, in to what extent it can be imposed. Then I will talk about priority um, for the worse off and, uh, and uh, argue that there can be something called absolute priority, relative priority, but that also that absolute and relative priority can be combined. And I'll look at the consequences of doing this and finally uh, I will talk something about, speak something about the, the relevance of this kind of ethical uh, analysis. That doesn't really matter for, for the kind of decisions that we will eventually end up making. Now, a fair treatment of people living at different geographical locations and at different points in time depends, among other things, on their entitlements and the, the chosen procedures for redistribution. Um, it might be that uh, if somewhere, uh, some parts of the world have, in, to a small extent, um, uh, used the limited absorb absorptive capacity of the atmosphere for CO2, it might be argued that, that that gives them greater rights to, to emit CO2 in the future. Um, so that might be, be uh, taken into account in a, when we want to see what is a fair treatment. Um, when it comes to procedure issues, we, we might not want to um, infringe on, on civil liber liberties and so forth. But what if, uh, what if we abstract from entitlement, entitl entitlements and procedures and are purely concerned with consequences? Then fair treatment is reduced to equal treatment of people independently of location and time. And uh, my own research concerns an even more abstract setting where non-overlapping generations follow each other in sequence. And then we can ask questions, questions, what does it then mean to treat generations equally? And does equal treatment rule out social discounting? And, and uh, what I will argue is that equal treatment does not rule out uh, social discounting, not even of, of in, in terms of utilities. Just to make uh, clear what I will talk about and what I will not talk about, um, we have to face three different uh, problems when, when doing this kind of normative analysis. First, we have to clarify the concept of individual well-being. What, what really constitutes uh, individual well-being? Um, then we have to aggregate individual well-being into a concept of aggregate well-being for one generation, where, for instance, also um, unequal distribution within each gen uh, generation should be taken into account. And then we have to compare generational well-being of different generations. What I formally will talk about today is only the third question. That is what, what I will be concerned about. And when I use a term like utility, that will refer to a specific cardinal scale for generational well-being, and utilitarian criterion will make use of such a scale. So by using a uh, uh, 
a term like utilitarian criterion, I will not, um, I will not put any, any specific uh, meaning in, into the concept of individual well-being. I'm not, that, that is not something I will, I will say something about. So, um, um, so I'm, I will be a, a consequentialist at this point. Uh, I will not argue that uh, one should uh, necessarily be consequentialist or utilitarian when it comes to the second question here. Now, there's a long tradition for considering unfavorable treatment of future generations as ethically unacceptable. Um, also among economists, uh, um, the quote from Pigou where the preference for present pleasure over future pleasure is explained by our defective telescopic faculty is well known. Likewise, in Ramsey's mathematical theory of savings, saving, he assumes that we do not discount later enjoyment in comparison to earlier ones, a practice which is ethically indefensible and arises merely, merely from the weakness of imagination. Now, as, a, as, an, as an aside, I can mention that uh, Ramsey, throughout his short life, did not maintain this view consistently in a, a collection of his writing published after his, uh, his death. Um, it says that my picture of the world is drawn in perspective and not like a model to scale. I apply my perspective not merely to space but also to time. In time the world will cool and everything will die, but that is a long time off still and its present value at, at compound interest is almost nothing. But let me return then to the, the quote that is probably more well known. Now, there's about 6.9 billion people alive today. About 100 billion people have ever lived, and hence the ratio of people who have lived in the past to people living now is about 14 to 1, which is a, it's a small number. Now, we can think about how many people can potentially live in the future? And the number I will present here is, of course, an uh, upper limit, but uh, uh, there's about 500 million years left of the, the Earth as acceptable ha habitat for humans. Now, if we assume that population could remain stable at 10 billion with average length of life equal to 72.5 years, the ratio of people living will potentially live in the future, the people living now, is about 10 million to 1. So, my, so this is, of course, a, a, a much too optimistic uh, uh, evaluation, but still, this 14, 10, 10 million is much bigger than 14. And uh, the way, so the, the, the point is that there are many potential people living in the future. And that is captured in economic models of intergenerational equity, by an infinite but countable number of future generations. So that's the reason, at least from my point of view, why we assume there to be an infinite number of future generations in these models. And that, uh, that fact that there are infinite number of future generations uh, creates a lot of interesting problems uh, when, uh, when, doing, um, when doing analysis of intergenerational equity. Because uh, one interesting question is whether it is possible to treat an infinite number of generations equally. Now we have to um, be formal about what is meant by equal treatment of generations. 
And the axiom that is usually uh, employed is anonymity. So if we have a stream of well-being that continues, it doesn't stop here, continues from an infinite number of, of uh, um, time peri periods, infinite number of generations, and we rearrange the uh, order of these uh, generations, then such reordering of, of the generations does not matter. The two streams are equally good. That's an axiom. If, they're, if we impose that they're equally good, then uh, that's a way of treating generations equally. Their location and time does not matter. Now, there's two variants of this, uh, of this, uh, of this axiom, either finite anonymity or, or strong anonymity. In the finite anonymity, we only rearrange finite in many of these generations and keep the tail of the stream uh, unchanged. Um, so, but if uh, we impose strong anonymity, then also rearranging of all location will have as implication that the two streams are equally good. But we should also be sensitive for the interest of every one generation. And an axiom for sensitivity is a strong Pareto, meaning that if we go from a stream like this and uh, to a stream like this, in this case, one generation has uh, become better off, but if one or more generation has become better off without any, any, any generation can come worse off, then the new stream is better. That's uh, according to the axiom of strong Pareto. Now the bad news is that uh, no social preference over infinite well-being streams can satisfy both this the strong uh, condition of equal treatment and the and, and strong Pareto as an axiom of sensitivity. And that's quite easy to see actually. Just look at uh, this stream. So that's uh, every other generation has, uh, has a good life the, and, the, and the, all, all the even numbers have, have, have bad lives. Now assume that you, you take, let this zero here go one period forward. Uh, all the uh, even numbers, no, backward, uh, all, the, uh, uh, all the even numbers go two periods backward and so forth, and all the, all the uh, odd numbers go two periods forward. Then you can see that you can get from the top stream to the bottom stream by just reordering the locations. So according to strong anonymity, they should be equally good, but we see clearly that by strong, uh, strong Pareto, the upper one is, dominates the lower one. This generation is better off, all the other generations are equally well off. And that's enough to see that we cannot both impose uh, strong anonymity as an axiom of equal treatment and strong Pareto as an axiom of sensitivity. Um, even worse, um, turns out that even if we um, um, weaken the axiom of equal treatment to finite anonymity. So we just rearrange a finite number of the, the, uh, the location, not at all locations, not the in infinite number of locations that we do here. It turns out that there exists no uh, complete social preference, so infinite well-being streams that satisfy both this weaker uh, condition of um, equal treatment and strong Pareto that at the same time can be explicitly described. And this means that, as a conclusion, that uh, sensitive social preferences treating generations equally cannot be complete, cannot 
compare all alternatives. This gives us a dilemma. Because we have a choice between um, insisting on strong Pareto and completeness, but then we cannot treat generations equally. We can um, get equal treatment um, in the weaker sense through finite immunity and strong Pareto, but then we lose completeness. So, but we can also then imp uh, insist on the strong version of the um, equal treatment action and completeness, but then we cannot be sensitive to the interest of every one generation. Now, the, um, the first possibility, namely to leave out equal treatment, discounted utilitarianism as uh, axiomatized by Koopmans is an example of this. And if we want to, um, one way of arguing that uh, discounted utilitarianism is not a good uh, criterion is to look at a comparison between a completely egalitarian well-being stream, like the one, the red stream here, and a black stream, where the first generation is made better off at the expense of all future generations. Now, from an egalitarian point of view, it's clear that uh, the red one is better. Also, from a utilitarian point of view, independ independently of what uh, scale well-being is measured as, the sum of this loss will be bigger than this scale. So both from an egalitarian and utilitarian point of view, we should argue that the red stream is better if we, from an impartial point of view when generations are treated equally. But it turns out that uh, according to discounted utilitarianism, the black stream might actually be preferred. Now, there's a lot of interesting work on, on, uh, on the middle possibility here to, to leave out, to relax completeness and, and have this weaker form of, uh, of, uh, of uh, equal treatment of generations. And um, what, one, one, one result that I uh, contribu contributed to a few years ago is uh, a justification on, uh, of sustainability through these uh, two actions. It turns out that in productive economists, where, where um, capital investment has uh, positive net productivity, it turns out that only non-decreasing streams are maximal if for any, any um, uh, criterion that satisfies these two actions and gives a justification of sustainability. But uh, the topic for this presentation is to insist on, um, on uh, the strong version of equal treatment and completeness, meaning that we cannot be sensitive to the interest of, uh, of each generation. The question is now, how can strong anonymity be combined with complete, completeness? Now, priority for the worse off is not inconsistent with equal treatment. So in a purely consequentialist setting, equal treatment of generations is compatible with letting the wages assigned to different generations' marginal well-being depend both on their absolute value of well-being, but also their relative rank in well-being. So whether they rank lower than other generations. But that means that we can look at uh, three different alternatives, look at 
absolute priority only, relative priority only, and combining absolute and relative priority. So my argument will here be that, uh, that uh, doing this, doing only absolute priority and relative priority will actually lead to extreme consequences which we cannot, uh, uh, which is very hard to defend and I will argue that we might think about combining absolute and relative priority. So if you look first at absolute priority only, that undiscounted utilitarianism is, uh, is an example of this. So um, if we know let xt be a comp comprehensive measure of consumption indicating the well-being of generation t, and that we also assume that unequal distribution of consumption is deemed undesirable in social evaluation. Let no u of xt be the utility derived from, uh, from that, uh, that level of, from the level of consumption xt, where you, now u is an increasing and strictly concave function. Now under Undiscounted utilitarianism, the weight of generation T's well-being is proportional to the marginal utility. And uh, since U is strictly concave, the weight on a worse-off generation is higher than the weight on a better-off generation. So that's prior absolute priority for, um, priority for the worse-off, including um, uh, according to what I call absolute prioritarianism. Now, if you have a finite number of generation, it means that if the, you let the weights sum up to one, the relative weights on one generation is one n times its marginal utility. But we were, I was arguing that we should model, due to the many potential lives in the future, we should model, um, uh, we should look, look at models with an infinite number of generations. So what if you, we have an infinite number of generations, what is the weight on every one of these generations? It's, it is zero. The relative weight is zero. And what is the problem with this? Well, one problem can be looked at uh, if we make a comparison between egalitarian stream like that and a situation where the current generation makes a sacrifice to the benefit of all future generations. Now it turns out that independently of how we, um, how we uh, transform well-being into utility, it will be the, fact, be, the, be, the, be the case that the blue stream is always preferred, even if this benefit for future generation is just tiny. And the sacrifice that we do in, uh, in, uh, in our generation just leads to lives in, in misery. We should still do it because our relative weight is zero according to uh, undiscounted utilitarianism. Now Merlis in an early work computed optimal well-being streams in economic models under undiscounted utilitarianism and observed that present generation should save up to 50% of the net income for the sake of future generations, which seems like a very strong high, high number. And Wolf uh, writes that they re 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 reluctantly pointed out that this consequence can be to some degree corrected by discounting the welfare of those living in the future. And uh, Arrow 
in a work from 1999, concluded that the strong ethical requirement that all generations be, be treated alike, itself reasonable, contradicts a very strong intuition that is not morally acceptable to demand excess excessively high savings rate of any one generation's generation or even of every generation. So that was absolute priority. What about relative priority only? Now, one possibility is to maximize the well-being or the worst of generation. Maximin, often associated with Walsh's difference principle. Now, Sen uh, argues that to break ties, one shall use this uh, uh, criterion lexicographically. If the worst of generation has the sem same well-being, then maximize the well-being of the second worst of generation and so forth. Uh, and that's, that, that, that is the criterion of uh, lexicographic maximum. Now, if we subject this criterion to the same test, we look, compare an egalitarian stream to a stream where the first generation makes a sacrifice, we get the result that the blue stream is never preferred. Even if there's just a tiny sacrifice and that uh, enable all future generations to live much better lives. It just says that we shouldn't do it. It's the, it's the priority is given to the, to the, uh, to the worst of to the first generation only because it's worst off, worst off, worst off. And that seems like a very strong, uh, strong conclusion, uh, and also uh, um, extreme conclusion in the, in the other way. So with absolute priority only, no weight uh, on any finite subset of generations. That's, uh, that's undiscounted utilitarianism. With relative priority only, no weight on any generation versus the worst off. That's lexicographic uh, maximin. And how to avoid these extreme conclusions while treated generations equally? And the answer which I will argue for is to combine absolute and relative priority. Now, recall that uh, Rawls, uh, I mean, he didn't didn't endorse it, but he mentioned that one way of, uh, of uh, making sure that the present generation was not, uh, uh, did not, uh, did not uh, uh, have to save too much was to discount the future. And this is then uh, uh, the discount, time discounted utilitarian criterion where uh, delta is, uh, is a time discount rate. But if it really was the case that the future was discounted because it was better, better off, then if we have some stream which is not increasing, then what we should first do is to re uh, rearrange it so that it comes in, in non-decreasing order. And then the discounting then would be, uh, be according to rank, and the delta here would then be a rank discount, discount rate. So what we do here is uh, we don't discount according to time. We, re, um, we reorder the stream such that it becomes in, uh, not a non-decreasing stream. And then we use, use uh, discount according to rank. This is called rank-discounted utilitarianism. And it was recently proposed by Stéphane Subert and is an, an, analyzed in, in, a, in, a joint, uh, in a joint paper. 
Now, if you hopefully agree with me that if you really want to discount the future because it's better off, then actually this is what we do. We don't discount because it's in the future. We discount those, that, those generations that are better off. But you can sort of ask, why has, the, why has not this uh, kind of criterion been suggested a long time ago? It turns out that there is, uh, is uh, an obstacle to doing this, namely, an obstacle to applying rank discounted utilitarianism is that well-being streams where some generations have infinite rank cannot be reordered into a non-decreasing stream. Independently how you reorder this stream, the one will always turn up at a finite point in time, meaning that you cannot re reorder this into a non-decreasing stream. But the first, look, look, uh, so the first location with well-being one will end up at some finite location in any reorder stream. Now we resolve this problem by showing how rank discounted utilitarianism can be extended to include also such streams. What we do formally is to use the axioms that Koopmans use for discounted utilitarianism, but only on the set of non-decreasing streams. And then we add this strong axiom, the strong condition, of equal treatment, namely strong anonymity. And it turns out that um, this entails sensitivity to the marginal utility of a generation only if the generation has infinite rank. And then strong Pareto, which cannot be combined with strong anonymity, is not satisfied as there's no sensitivity to the marginal utility of generations with infinitely many generations that are worse off. So we care for any generation at least uh, as long as there's, there is uh, only a finite number of generations that are worse off. So what kind of consequences does this criterion le lead to? Now, in uh, these kind of conflicts between this kind of um, egalitarian uh, stream and a stream where the present uh, generation uh, increases its well-being at the expense of all future generations, this generation becomes at uh, infinite rank, or infinitely many generations that are worse off. So we don't care about this, uh, this well-being increase, meaning that uh, the black stream is never preferred. So that was my argument against discounted utilitarianism. It does not, impose, it does not imply to rank discounted utilitarianism. If we look at the other uh, situation where where the first generation uh, makes uh, investment for the benefit of all future generations, now this becomes the worst of generations. So it big, big, uh, gets the most weight, weight and uh, it turns out that the blue streams, stream is sometimes preferred. It depends on uh, the size of the sacrifice and the benefit for all future generations, which also seems like a sensible comp compromise between the two uh, extreme views of undiscounted utilitarianism and of, of, of maximum. Now, one, interest for, one reason for the interest in uh, intergenerational equity was, of course, climate change. And what, what's, how does a criterion like the one I'm arguing for today, what does that mean for, uh, for evaluating climate policies? Now, one feature of traditional integrated assessment models uh, from Dyson Rice to the Stern model is 
sustained growth of consumption in the absence of climate change. And uh, it's also a feature of these models that, uh, um, uh, that, uh, that climate change is multiplicative. It doesn't really reduce consumption by that, by, by that much, even, I mean, for instance, uh, uh, it, unless uh, um, uh, temperature increase is very, very high. And that leads to the following conclusions. Future generations will be much better than the present generation, even when taking into account climate change. But that means that uh, the, the better off generations are in the future. So if we do time discounting or rank discounting, it does not matter. Rank and time is the same. So rank discounted utilitarianism has the same consequence as discounted utilitarianism if well-being and time is perfectly correlated. But is it reasonable to assume that uh, well-being and time will be perfectly correlated when taking into account the effects of climate change? Per perhaps not. At least there will be lot, lots of geographical variation, adverse, serious uh, adverse effects in some areas will not be compensated. There's also uncertainty, serious adverse effects in some realizations cannot be insured against. And uh, maybe growth can, may not be sustained. I mean, it's reason to, to believe that uh, energy costs will increase if uh, we take into account climate change, and then growth might not uh, um, be sustained uh, uh, with historic rates in, in the future. Now, many integrated assessment models put less weight on the marginal utility in, of those that are far from us in the future due to time discounting in poor countries due to uh, Nigishi weights. Um, and uh, especially the Nigishi weights are sort of a, a, a perverse form of, uh, of, um, of relative priority. You give more priority to the rich utility of, uh, of the rich, marginal utility of the rich and the poor. And if it's the case that, uh, that, uh, um, that uh, well-being and time will not be correlated, then also time discounting might uh, uh, be the same as doing rank, uh, doing a relative priority in the, not according to giving more priority to those that are worse off. In contrast, rank discounted utilitarianism do this in a consistent way, put more weights on the marginal utility of those that are worse according to relative priority prioritarianism, leading to very different consequences if climate change breaks the perfect correlation between time and well-being. So uh, if, it's, if it will be the case that uh, time and, and uh, well-being and time is not perfectly correlated, using a, a, a criterion like this will change the conclusions of what we should do. But what is the relevance of, of this? Are normative analysis of intergenerational equity relevant? And some economists argue that normative theory of, on intergenerational equity leads to the arbitrary judgments of philosopher kings, that's uh, 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 Weizmann using Plato's term, doing nirvana ethics, according that's a quote from Zim, and thus has limited relevance uh, for uh, economic policy. Arguments supporting this, these such views may include that uh, the altruism of parents towards their children 
least a good outcome for the long-term development of society. So really, we don't care. Things will be taken care of. And also, uh, the argument that normative theory of intergenerational equity has no consequence for intergenerational distribution, as shifting this is the decision from market agents to democratically controlled policymakers rather than philosophers, would not imply a stronger representation of future generations. Now, according to, um, when it comes to the first argument here, there's a problem. Given the external effects of greenhouse gas emissions, taking care of our, our descendants does not sell, solve the distributional problems that climate change poses, but may, may add gravity to the problem. Now, if each of us seeks to protect our immediate descendants against the effects of climate change, then a stupid thing will be to do is to reducing our own greenhouse gas emissions. It's not a productive line of action. It will not benefit our descendants. If it will, I mean, the aggregate effect might be, might, be, might be valuable, but not for our descendants. So what we will do is to choose to accumulate, accumulate private assets thereby ensuring that the next generation in our own dynasty a good, uh, good start in life at the cost of all other dynasties. And the same arguments applies to countries. So we cannot assume that things will be taken care of by, by themselves. But it, but it might still be that normative analysis um, may help form social preferences. In much of behavioral econ uh, economics, it's assumed that people trade off their own material interest against the wider interests of society. But then these wider interests uh, must be captured by some fairness ideal. Um, so individuals or countries may base their decisions partly on the, on the effects in terms of self-interested well-being and partly on the effects measured by some impartial welfare indicator. And in the context of uh, international equity, the latter measure may be derived from axiomatic analysis, which might lead then, if you accept my ax uh, axioms, to rank discounted utilitarianism. So the resulting preferences, uh, uh, when you combine this self-interest with this wider interest, might then resemble those suggested by Schelling, where well-being of people that are separated from us by geographical distance and time are depreciated because they are, they are far away. But still, axiomatic analysis of intergenerational equity, where the equal treatment as a key ingredient, has helped contributed to forming these, uh, these, these preferences and therefore been relevant to, to some extent. I'm now at my conclusion. Um, I've been talking about rank discounted utilitarianism satisfies even the strongest form for equal treatment of, uh, of generation, namely the axiom of, of, uh, of uh, strong anonymity. It's responsive to the interest of, of future generations, but still it's uh, behaviorally indistinguishable from discounted utilitarianism in important circumstances, at least in the kind of growth models that economists often use and implicitly use to to, uh, to justify the use of discounted utilitarianism. However, rank discounted utilitarianism may lead to very different consequences if climate change breaks the perfect correlation between time and, 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 uh, and well-being. Now, 
The debate in the wake, in the wake of the Stern review has uh, been limited to what parameters to use in a discounted or undiscounted utilitarian criterion. My more, um, more wider argument uh, is that the kind of research that I presented here shows that there's a wider set of criteria for intergeneration equity that should perhaps be considered for evaluating climate policies and policies for sustainable development. I've worked on, on different uh, um, um, concepts like this, uh, one called uh, sustainable discounted utilitarianism, which I've not talked about today, but which where I have a paper together with Simon Dietz, where showing what kind of effect that has on, uh, on, uh, on uh, the emission control rate. My point of just using, of showing this graph is that uh, perhaps we should employ these kind of, um, of uh, alternative criteria and see what kind of consequences they have for the kind of actions that we should do today. And uh, some of this research has been reviewed in a, in a review article that I published uh, uh, last year. And uh, the paper I'm talking about uh, now is available as a, as, as a working, working paper. Okay, thank you.